Hello again, friend. Did you get a good night's sleep last night? 46% of women say they have a problem sleeping almost every night. 70 million people suffer from sleep disorders in America. And women are more prone to a bad night's sleep or insomnia than men. Poor sleep leaves you feeling more than just cranky and exhausted. Sleep plays a pivotal role in every aspect of your health, including reduced immune function, high blood pressure, diabetes, hormone imbalances, weight gain, depression, brain fog, and memory issues. Let's face it, these last few years with so much chip happening in and around our lives, there's a lot to lose sleep over, but there's good news. There are ways you can proactively get a good night's sleep so you can be your best, live like you're a snazzy nail color, and not let the chips keep you down. On today's episode, I talk with Morgan Adams. Her clients call her their sleep soulmate. She's a holistic sleep coach for women. She used to be a sleeping pill popper until she got a wake-up call. It was time for a change. Now she's got sleep down to a science. And as a certified sleep coach, she works with women everywhere to make over their sleep protocols so they can fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up feeling consistently refreshed. You're gonna love her. By the way, I always ask my guests to take my quick quiz to determine their nail color persona and what their fave nail color reveals about them. It's a fun way to get to know them before we dive into our conversation. Well, you can take the What's Your My Nail Color Persona quiz too. You just go to livelikeyournailcolor.com forward slash quiz. Or you can use my handy shortcut, mynailcolorpersona.com. Answer three quick questions and in your results, discover your specific nail color persona, your built-in strengths, and how to tap into those strengths when chip happens. Again, go to livelikeyournailcolor.com forward slash quiz. Now let's get talking with Morgan. Tired of so much chip happening? Discouraged by so much downer news? Weary from chronic crisis? Don't let the chips keep you down. Welcome to the Live Like Your Nail Color podcast where the tips of your fingers and toes are ready to inspire you to not give up and to keep creating the business, career, and life you want. In each episode, we flip the chip and let our fun nail color with that crazy fun name cheer us on to remember our strengths, embrace the power of choice, see life as an adventure, and know resilience is only a touch-up or change-up away. Get ready for a good time and a good laugh with your host, Mary Foley. Welcome back, Live Like Your Nail Color Gals. Great to be with you again. Did you get a good night's sleep last night? Well, today's gal pal says that 46% of women say they have a problem sleeping almost every night. Is that you? Could be. It's so much easier to deal with chip happening on our nails and in our lives when you get a good night's sleep. Don't you agree? I know for myself that if I go several nights with not enough really good sleep. I am tired and useless. Okay, so that sounds kind of dramatic, but I'm not totally useless, but I'm certainly not totally productive and nailing it, that's for sure. I mean, let's face it, these last few years with so much happening in and around our lives, there's a lot to lose sleep over. 
but there's good news. There, so what, there are ways you can proactively get a good night's sleep and be your best self and live your best life and not let the chips keep you down. Today's gal pal knows all about this and is going to show us how. Her name is Morgan Adams. Her clients call her their sleep soulmate. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, huh? She's a holistic sleep coach for women. She used to be a sleeping pill popper until she got a wake-up call that it was time for a change. And now she's got sleep down to a science as a certified, certified sleep coach, too, by the way. And she works with women everywhere to make over their sleep protocols so that they can fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up feeling consistently fresh and ready to go. Morgan, welcome to the Live Like Your Nail Color podcast. Thank you, Mary. It's great to be here with you today. Great to be here today, too. Did you get a good night's sleep, by the way, last night? It was it was fair. fair. It could have been better. But, you know, even sleep coaches have a mediocre night. So <laughs> yeah, I know, know. tonight will be better. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> I'd say mine was fair. You know, I've got a little bit of congestion. It's easy to hear in my voice. And so I had to sit up a little bit in order for that to happen. But um, so many of the things that I've already learned from you in our our previous conversation, I've became much more cognizant of what I'm doing or not doing to help myself get a good night's sleep. And I'm so excited for you and I to have this conversation and, and dive into that more and share more about that because we all want a good night's sleep, right? That's the truth. <laughs> it's true. And all the people in our lives would do. But before we get to that, uh, before the podcast, I asked you to take what's your nail color persona quiz. So I'm curious, because I ask all my gal pal guests this, uh, what did it turn out to be your nail color persona and did it nail you? So I got red and it said, you are one steady, reliable woman. You're cool with who you are and don't need a lot of attention, but you're more than happy to recognize others and cheer them on. But watch out when too much chip happens, you can start to feel down off balance and tend to put up with more than you should. You are persistent, resolute, and trustworthy. I think I think that was a very accurate description. So mm -hmm. good, good job with your quiz. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks. So one steady, reliable woman. You love red. Does that mean also like you like solid colors? Because it sounds like a solid sister to me. Yeah, I would say solid is, is pretty spot on. <laughs> so, yeah, because solid sister is like, I really like the solid colors. I, I'm really not into the designs. I'm really not into some glitter. Like, just give me it straightforward. Uh, you might like a variety of different kind of colors, red being your favorite, right? But, yes. Yeah. And because that thing of steady, reliable woman, I mean, that's who I would want in any coach, just saying. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and any friend, actually, that would be great. Okay, cool. I'm glad that nailed you. All right. So now, now we know going in. All right. We got our solid sister who loves wearing red um, that uh, is going to give us some advice here. So I want to ask about you being a sleep coach. I don't hear that often, but I, I, I knew exactly what that meant. Like you're going to help people coach, give them advice and work with them to help them get a better night's sleep. So I want to know what inspired you to be a sleep coach? Yeah, well, it goes back to about 17 years ago when I had a personal crisis in my own life, which we will not go into, but 
it created a situation um, where insomnia was kicked off. And I did not actually know how to cope with it other than to ask my doctor who gave me Ambien. And I took the Ambien pretty much every night for the next, I would say eight years. And that I, what happened was I was dating my current husband (laughs) and he noticed that I was taking these pills every night. And he said, you know, after you take these pills, you kind of turn into a zombie and it's kind of freaking me out. And I thought, well, hmm, yeah, you know, you're probably right. It's probably something to take a look at. So that was kind of my prompt about how to stop taking them. And I did it in a way that I don't actually advise my clients to do it. Um, I think it's really helpful to have a practitioner and a coach walking you through that process because it's not easy, but I, I managed to do the job and get off the pills. And I slept decently for years after that, you know, not a great sleeper, but not bad. And then March of 2020 hit and my sleep started to tank again. And I got concerned because I did not want to go back to the days of insomnia. I was very concerned. So I started to look online and and investigate and I bought an aura ring to track my sleep. And I started doing all these experiments and was able to get my sleep back on track pretty quickly. And I just started to organically share some of the things I learned, tips and tricks on social media. And lo and behold, I come to find that a lot of the people in my social circles were struggling with their sleep too. So it just kind of got me more and more interested. And then several months later, I had a revelation that I needed to become a sleep coach for women. It was like a bolt of lightning hit me. I knew for quite a while that I wanted to pursue some kind of career that helped women with their health, but I wasn't quite sure what it was. And then the sleep thing hit me and it was off to the races. So I just basically after that had to figure out how to do it. (laughs) How does one do this? Right. Because like you said, sleep, sleep coaching is not terribly common right now. It's a relatively new field. We have a lot of uh, fitness trainers and we've got a lot of uh, weight loss uh, coaches and you know, things like that. But the sleep coaching field is relatively new. So I had to find various coaches and cert- sorry, uh, courses and certifications to get me qualified to do what I'm doing. So that, that's kind of the story of how I got here. And it's been fantastic so far. That's great. Well, you, you know, I think the fact that you struggled really is, <laughs> is helpful because you can put yourself in the exact situation of the gal who, you know, may be um, taking sleeping pills right now or doing something else that is, um, you know, she's doing as some kind of aid or maybe not. She's not taking anything, but she's still not sleeping or still not sleeping long. She's still not sleeping well. Um, And it is it, you know, I know a lot of times young moms because they have with kids and, you know, things are like, you know, kind of crazy in their household. It's easy as well not to get a good night's sleep. But then let's say the kids are out of the house or they're older and they don't need as much. And you're in your, you know, you're in your mid forties or even in the fifties and, you know, then the body changes and then you go, why can't I sleep now? You know, I used to sleep before all kinds of reasons, but then you add on top of that, 
all of this external stress that we've all been under, it's no wonder all of us are not, you know, up all night, uh, just getting and barely, you know, barely getting getting through sometimes because it's it's just so it's just so tiring. So I've got a quick question for you. One of the things that you said was about this aura ring. Yes. Um, yeah. So what is that exactly? I've seen some ads about that, but I'm not quite sure really what it yeah. is. Well, it is a sleep tracking device that you wear on your finger. Um, and it essentially tracks many, many metrics that relate to your sleep and your readiness. So it can track your heart rate variability, your pulse. It can now, as of today, track your breathing rate, <laughs> new feature. Uh, it tracks your total sleep time, your sleep efficiency, your REM sleep, your deep sleep, how restless you are. It, I mean, the stats are endless and you can do a report and see how you're trending. And honestly, it's, you know, out of looking at all the different sleep trackers, it is really the most reliable one. And I have zero affiliation with this product. It's just from the research that I've done, it is the most reliable product. And it's something that, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, should I get one? Should I not? And my general recommendation is if you are somebody who's looking to optimize your sleep and you're open to data, you're open to looking at data and then changing your behaviors based upon that data, it's a really great tool. The folks who I really uh, try to sway away from investing in this aura ring would be people who have really, really severe insomnia and they have a lot of anxiety tied to their sleep. Because what can end up happening is you could throw yourself into something called orthosomnia, which is basically when you become so anxious about your sleep, it's almost perpetuating your sleep problem, right? Mm -hmm. So I, so for those folks, I say, Hey, look, let's not use the aura ring because it's just going to exacerbate your anxiety. So, I mean, it's a great tool, but it's not like for every single person out there. So I love the fact that it's going to give you data that you can't really get otherwise. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. It's not, it's not an easy time to measure stuff when you're asleep or partially right. asleep or kind of being asleep and you're not there. I mean, you know, it's just, where do you get that data? So I think that's really cool. There's so, you know, it makes me uh, think it's like a Fitbit for sleep kind of in that's a way. That's exactly what it is. Hmm. Exactly. And I, you know, it's not hundred percent accurate. You kind of have to take the data with a grain of salt, especially in the sleep stages. Um, so I like to tell people to look at the trend lines versus the headlines. And so instead of obsessing from day to day, look at your, your tracking, how you're tracking over time is really the best way to use this tool. Got it. Well, um, I, I gotta ask you something about the Ambien and yeah. you, know, you had said about you were a pill popper. I mean, that that's, an, you know, you're very public about that. Um, and you know, there's, uh, you were on it, you said for eight years and one time you said that it, it, it sedated you and there was a difference between being sedated and being asleep. What really is the difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So hypnotic, uh, sedatives, which is the class of drug that Ambien Lunesta are in, they actually impede the deep brain waves that you should be getting during your normal sleep. Mm. So those brain waves that those sleep stages, um, become a little skewed. 
I heard a really good analogy the other day. Let's see if I can do it justice. So essentially, imagine an or imagine an orchestra, and good sleep is the conductor. Okay, let's just say that the conductor becomes a sleeping pill, and is conducting. You all of a sudden you lose your percussion from the symphony. The symphony doesn't sound the same because you're missing a key element. It's kind of that that situation. Things are a little off. Um, so that's sort of the the scientific way to describe it. But before I even knew about any of this, what I can tell you from my personal experience is that I was very very groggy in the morning when I woke up. Oh, I also mixed it with alcohol. That's another story. Um, right. But uh, you're not supposed to do that. Um, but you know, I was groggy in the morning. And it took me until about noon to feel alert. And that's no way to live your, your life at all. Um, it was just this strange kind of feeling. Um, if you've had anesthesia, most people have. It's somewhat like that. You're just, you're, you're just groggy. Um, so, in fact, you know, I recently heard about... Um, this whole morning drowsiness effect for women and Ambien, women who took the standard dose of Ambien actually felt the morning drowsiness longer. And the FDA actually had to issue a different prescribed dose for women because of that. And I'm not sure when that, I think that happened after I ended my bout with Ambien, but that would have been nice to know right. <laughs> during my, during my, uh, my little love affair with Ambien. So yeah, to answer your question, it's, it's not, it's a different kind of sleep. And there is a very, very well-known uh, sleep researcher named Matthew Walker, who wrote a book called Why We Sleep. And it's, you know, a very, very well-known book. The book has been um, cited in multiple articles and he, he does tend to shake, shake a little bit of a finger, you know, at, at folks at times, um, because he wants to really drive home the point that there are some longer term health consequences with these sleeping pills. So I'm not going to go on a tangent, but I do want to share one quote that really like kind of shook me. And, and it is this ambient induced sleep caused a 50% weakening or unwiring of the brain cell connections originally formed in learning. In doing so, ambient laced sleep became a memory eraser. Ooh. Wow. Wow. I don't want to erase memories. Oh no. (laughs) Unravel the learning. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I'll, I'll end, I'll end my soliloquy about sleeping medications there. If anyone wants to really delve deeper into the longer term consequences and take a deep dive into uh, sleep medications. Matthew Walker is your guy. He's the one who will definitely educate you. Um, But my advice to somebody who, I mean, let me just back up and say, I obviously have a personal bias with sleeping pills. So I come at, I come at it from that, that vantage point, but there are times and places for sleeping pills. Um, If you are maybe traveling, if you are undergoing a crisis, you know, a death, a divorce, job loss, 
they, it's, it's okay to do short term, but the, the problem is, is that most physicians are very busy. They have about 10 minutes to spend with us. When we say we have insomnia, we have trouble sleeping. The easiest thing to do is pull out their prescription pad and write us a prescription. I get it. Like they're busy. Um, but a doctor should always plan for, make a plan with the patient about how long that patient will intend to use the sleeping pills. There should be an exit strategy for, for taking the pills. It shouldn't be a refill is needed type of situation. So that's just, you know, you know, caution. If you are, you know, going to a doctor, just, you know, consider that mm -hmm. consider, you know, what they might say and just, you know, think about the, the, the ramifications of taking it for too long. Yeah, well, I appreciate you raising that awareness, just, just to have an awareness for anyone who is currently taking them to go, huh, maybe there's a way to wean off, or maybe it would be best for me over time, you know, if I do. But I know one of the things that, um, I mean, I'm a huge proponent on, let's keep it simple. <laughs> and what, what we want to get a good night's sleep. I mean, that's really the goal, pills or no pills, right? And in order to function our best, in order to kind of really not only deal with life, but enjoy life, you know, to the max and into the, into the fullest. And, um, and so I want to ask is, you know, your experience as a sleep coach, uh, why do so many women struggle with getting a good night's sleep? And I guess I'm thinking particularly at this point in this whole pandemic party. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up a, a good point with the, the pandemic over the last couple of years, uh, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine did a survey that they released just a few months ago. And they revealed that women are one and a half times more likely than men to rarely or never wake up feeling rested. Mm. So we get the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of statistics when you were introducing me. And the, the reality is that as far as insomnia is concerned, and we can talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but women are two times more likely to um, develop insomnia from adolescence to menopause. And there are three main reasons why we are, we as women are more prone to having a sleeping problem. The first is kind of obvious. It's hormones, you know, hormones from pregnancy, hormones in menopause. And even when you are cycling, Typically in your luteal phase, um, you could potentially have some disruption and during your menstrual cycle. So hormones are you know, a big thing for us that disrupt our sleep. The second is the fact that mood disorders are more prevalent with women, especially anxiety and depression. And anxiety and depression actually leave you more vulnerable to sleep issues. And then the third reason is really the overlap of caregiver responsibilities and work, especially for women who are 40, 50 and beyond, because quite often women in that age demographic maybe have children at home. They may have parents who are aging and those parents are caring are relying on uh, somebody for care. And also that woman may have a very busy career. So with all of those demands on her, um, it can make sleep very difficult because she's juggling so many things. So those are sort of the main reasons why we have 
been struggling to get to sleep. And of course, you know, the pandemic, you know, just exacerbated a lot of issues, especially for women, because when the whole working from home thing came about, women were kind of tasked with a lot more than they really bargained for. So yeah, it's a, it's a big issue. Yeah. Just, I was going to say hormones, mood disorders, caregivers in in work, and then, and the pandemic and everything that comes um, from that in your life. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's overload. It's no wonder we get any sleep compared when I I think of that list. And yet it's so essential, right? It's so essential to our body's repair and our body's um, ability to keep going. You know, earlier you talked about, and you said that one of the things when we're sedated versus really sleeping, it's because uh, some of those pills impede, you said this deep sleep that we we really need. So I'm curious, um, I know what a really good night's sleep feels like. Right. I mean, I yes. think I've been that. But clinically, um, how is a good night's sleep defined yeah. to those particular deep wavelengths? Yeah. So when you look at good sleep clinically, you're mainly looking at six different components. The first one is called latency. And that's basically a fancy way to say how long it takes you to fall asleep. The ideal amount of time it should take us to fall asleep is about 10 to 20 minutes. Um, I sometimes hear people tell me, you know, when I say to them, I'm a sleep coach, one of the common things they say to me is, oh, I don't have trouble sleeping at all. Like my, the second my head hits the pillow, I'm out like a light. (laughs) And the thing is, is that if you fall asleep before five minutes, it could be a sign that you're sleep deprived. That's not great. Conversely, if you take over 30 minutes to get to sleep, it could mean that you have maybe subpar sleep habits or insomnia. So the second, um, def- the second component of good sleep is regularity. And that means consistent wake up and bedtimes. It's really, really important to keep it as consistent as possible. The third is sort of what you alluded to earlier, satisfaction. You're fe- you feel refreshed. You know, you know physically when you've had a good night's sleep. The fourth is alertness, and that is basically our ability to stay awake, alert during the day without needing to take naps or having multiple Starbucks runs. Um, the The fifth component is duration. So that would be between seven to nine hours of recommended sleep per night. Um, about 70% of the population's sleep needs are between six and nine hours. So one of the things that I like to um, share with people um, is that this, there's this myth of you've got to get eight hours, got to get eight hours. Well, not necessarily. Everyone has their own sleep need. These are just general guidelines. Some people need 10. Some people do great with six. It's like our shoe size. Like just because you're a nine and I'm a seven doesn't mean one of us is, you know, healthy or one of us is not. Um, So, you know, everyone's got their own kind of sweet spot. And then the last component is efficiency. So one of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, is it normal to wake up at night? And it is normal. It's very normal to wake up once or twice. If you go over twice, it could be a potential problem. But when you kind of add up all the time in bed that you're awake um, at night, it should be less than 20 minutes. So 
those are sort of the main kind of sort of the main features of what like a good, you know, clinical night of sleep looks like. Yeah. And, and now I can see why that aura ring could be helpful. Yes. You could get data points on a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Lots of data points. <laughs> as long as it doesn't make you more anxious. Right. <laughs> and you know, the data point that aura can't give you is how you feel. So right. I actually did, I, I did a data fast from the aura ring about two weeks ago as an experiment, because I typically look at my scores the second I wake up. And I decided to go for five days without looking at the score. And I basically made myself guess based on how I felt what my sleep score would be. And I was within like three points for the whole, you know, for each time, which, which, you know, I encourage people to, to do that if they have a a sleep tracking device is to check in with themselves, because really at the end of the day, the best, the best measure of how well you've slept is how you feel. Yeah. You know, right. Because I've had I've had mornings where I woke up feeling just kind of ho hum, and my sleep score is fantastic. Mm. <laughs> you know, and and I was like, well, that's kind of weird. So you know, I think that um, you know, you you definitely need to focus in on how you're feeling first and foremost above the data points. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good to know too. You know, you had said earlier um, when I asked you, like, did you get a good night's sleep last night? And you're like, well, it was fair. Okay. And, and I'm just, so it makes me think about how many nights of tossing and turning, because, you know, that's more than waking up twice to me. That's like a yes. constant, uh, uh, unsettledness during the night until it's a health challenge. Like how many nights in a row for have a bad sleep or not very good sleep for it to become a health challenge. And then if we don't address it, if we don't improve it somehow, right, we don't figure it out, like what happens to our bodies? Yeah. Well, there's no magic number of nights, but I will give some context as to like what sleep deprivation kind of looks like. So the longest amount of days anyone on record has gone without sleep is 11 days. Oh my no gosh, <laughs> I can't even imagine yeah. 11. I, I know I can't, but at that point you are, you know, hallucinating. I mean, you're just not in a good spot. Mm-hmm. So when, when there are clinical studies done on sleep deprivation, the longest um, it's ethically allowed to sleep deprive somebody is two days. So, um, but you, I mean, obviously one knows when they're not getting enough sleep over several, several days, what, how they feel, they don't feel good, but long-term sleep deprivation is something that is talked about in the media a lot. And I will talk about some specific things that are linked to long-term sleep deprivation, but I just want to give a caveat that people who have insomnia don't find this particularly helpful because it exacerbates their anxiety. So in the media, it's, it's often a lot of fear mongering. So I just want to, I just want to, I'll share the list, but I also want to preempt that list by saying that if you have some of these issues, if you're dealing with sleep deprivation, understand that sometimes um, the studies that are done on longer term sleep deprivation are done on people who've had such a sleep deprivation for many, many years, not like a week. Um, And some of the studies are also designed in a flawed way. So 
just kind of keeping, keeping that in mind, it's not resolute, but let's just say that you, you know, are going through a, a tough time and, or maybe you're just, you're working too hard and you're prioritizing your work over your sleep. Here's, here's sort of a list of things that can start to happen as you like really become sleep deprived. Um, you could have memory issues. You can have trouble concentrating. Your mood could be dysregulated. Oftentimes people get short tempered. Our REM stage of sleep is critical for emotional regulation. So without that REM sleep, you're going to be perhaps kind of bitchy to people. <laughs> um, depression and anxiety and your immune system can become weaker. You can become more accident prone. Um, drowsy driving is a real, real issue. It can actually be just as bad, if not worse than drunk driving as far as statistics. Wow. Um, another um, issue with sleep deprivation that's over long, longer term is weight gain. So um, what happens when you are um, sleep deprived for a while is that your hunger hormones change. So there's a hunger hormone called ghrelin, and that is your hormone that tells you it's time to eat. So I remember this by ghrelin is go time. So you get hungrier when you get more ghrelin. If you're sleep deprived at the same time, you have a hormone called leptin, which you have less of, and that is your satiety hormone. So you want to keep eating more. So you can see how, you know, that hunger and that inability to turn off the eating switch could create weight gain, weight gain over time. In fact, some of the women who work with me come into my coaching, wanting to lose like a few pounds, they're not drastically overweight. And as we go through the, the program and their sleep gets better, the weight just kind of comes off mm. as a, as a natural consequence. And then the last thing that I'll share before I scare everyone to death um, <laughs> is, uh, is, uh, you can be prone to high blood pressure if you're getting less than five hours of sleep on a consistent basis. So again, quite a few consequences of sleep deprivation, but keep in, keep into consideration that you can reverse sleep deprivation fairly quickly if it's, if it hasn't been going on for too long. That's great. But you know, that phrase, I, I, I gotta say, honestly, I'll say, I'll tell you the statement. I hate this statement, but we've all heard it in one way, shape or form, you know, over the years, I can sleep when I die. I knew you were going to say oh, that. I, I hate it too. That too. You know, and I want to go and you're going to get there a lot faster. Yeah, That's my <laughs> answer. Yeah. That's my answer. Yeah. Oh my it's, gosh. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a really unfortunate attitude and I feel like it was prevalent a lot more often. You know, I heard it a lot more often in days past. Yeah, me too. But I, I right. really, I really do think that, um, you know, people like Arianna Huffington have made sleep sexy again. <laughs> you I, know, I, like, I remember when she really <laughs> put the book out about that yeah. and, and it kind of, you know, validated it. And it's, you know, unfortunately, why do we need necessarily someone with that much influence to say, hey, listen, I got a problem and you should too, because there's a lot of other books and there's been not a lot of other people throughout the years who have said, this is a problem. This is a problem. But if there's one thing that, you know, there's a lot of silver linings that we can look at in the pandemic. It can look at when we've got so much overload of 
self-care, right? So this definitely is in this overall um, umbrella of self-care. And I think instead of like, that's a, because that statement is kind of, that's eh, no big deal. Eh, sleep isn't that important. When in fact, it actually is critical, right? It's the drum beat. Yes. As you were saying. Yeah, very critical. I I have a very technical term that when uh, I know I haven't gotten enough sleep and what happens to me, and that one word is crabby. I get Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, disorder. It's it's not rocket science to me when I I not only feel, you know, might feel tired uh, for sure, but then my mood, I, I watch myself like, my gosh, you know, like I just do not have. The nice factor, the nice Mary seems to be going like, I didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> so yes, get out on everybody, you know. So uh, true. It's so true. So um, Bill lets me know that. He comes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's now go and kind of like flip this chip some. You yes. Know? And um, okay, so I want you to be all coach here, you know. Give yes. us some practical ways we can fall asleep faster, we can stay asleep longer, we can feel more rested without depending on pills. Let's just, okay. that's yes. not the situation. We're going to try and do it within our natural means. Okay. So first thing I would recommend is do a bedroom audit. Your bedroom should resemble a cave in a lot of ways. So it should be cool, dark, and quiet. So cool, meaning about 65 degrees of dark. Um, I recommend blackout shades or curtains. If those are not accessible to you, having a really good um, eye mask is, is wonderful. And then quiet, um, you know, sometimes you can't control noises around the house. So I like to use a white noise machine in my bedroom. And um, I do have something called a sleep sanctuary checklist that I have available um, on my website to download that has a more comprehensive checklist of things you can do to audit your bedroom. But that's a great starting point because I I call that the low-hanging fruit. Um, The second thing I would recommend is really establishing a solid morning routine because I think the morning routine has gotten the, 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 has gotten slighted. I think that the, the bedtime routine is, is getting all the press. And I do agree with a, a great bedtime routine. We'll get into that. But I think the morning is actually, the morning routine is actually more important than the evening routine, because if you're beginning your day right and you're de-stressing yourself in the beginning of the day, the rest of the day can you have, you're setting yourself up for the rest of the day to go much better. Um, the first thing that I recommend people do is get sunlight, natural sunlight for about 15 minutes, at least within an hour of waking up. And the, the, the key to that is to not wear sunglasses. Cause I see a lot of people in my neighborhood when I'm walking my dog, they're walking their dog seven, six and they're wearing their sunglasses. And I want to say, take off your sunglasses. The reason is because the light needs to hit your retina, which goes to your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is your circadian pacemaker. And that basically sets off a cascade of the proper hormones to entrain your circadian rhythm. So it kind of sets your cortisol levels for the right and your melatonin levels optimally throughout the day and into the evening. Um, I would also say to have something called the three M's in the morning. So it is movement, mindfulness, and mindset. And ideally it would be an hour, but not everyone has an hour. If you have 20 minutes, still have each component, the movement, you know, a walk, yoga, stretching, or whatever, 
mindfulness would be meditation, breath work, or just sitting in silence. And then the mindset piece would be a positive book, journaling, or affirmations. So you're really just setting your day on a very positive note. And then the evening routine I mentioned earlier is still important. Sleep is not an on-off switch, and we really actually need to prepare ourselves for it. Anyone who has children knows that the child needs a wind-down routine to to make sure the bedtime goes off without a hitch. And a lot of times moms don't prioritize their own wind-down routine. They get their kids all situated with a bath and a book read to them, but they just ignore their own need for a a wind-down routine. So um, we get busy at night. We start doing things that we couldn't get done during the day. And then all of a sudden it's 11 o'clock. So what I recommend is picking your bedtime and then getting a timer and choosing a uh, choosing an you know getting an alarm to go off at a certain time that basically alerts you it's time to start getting ready for bed. And so I I recommend something called the power down hour and it could be a half hour but an hour is easier to remember in terms of 20 minute increments. So your first 20 minutes would be preparing for the next day like putting your clothes out to wear Um, packing your lunch, doing those kinds of things. The second 20 minute segment would be your personal hygiene, brushing your teeth, washing your face, putting on your night cream and all that stuff. And then the last 20 minutes would be like a relaxing activity, like meditation, breath work, um, journaling, that kind of thing. So just really giving yourself that very calming, cut off your brain from work Um, and stimulating activities. And then the fourth tip I have is to audit what you consume. And that is really food and drink. And so the biggest culprits of uh, stealing your sleep are usually caffeine because people like to sometimes perk up with like an afternoon coffee. But I think what people forget is that caffeine has a quarter life of 10 to 12 hours. So if you have a two o'clock cup of coffee, to um, boost your energy level for the rest of the day, you could potentially have caffeine in your system at 10 o'clock at night, which is you know when most people are kind of getting ready for bed. So I, I, I'm a little, I err on the side of caution and really recommend people just stop their caffeine around 11 or 12 noon, the latest, because we all have different abilities to process caffeine according to our genes. And without knowing someone's genes, it's just kind of always better to err on the side of caution. As far as alcohol, um, this is a big one because I know a lot of people do like to, you know, end their day with a drink or whatever, um, especially, you know, during the past couple of years. (laughs) And what I like to recommend is if you're going to have alcohol to think more of like the happy hour versus a nightcap because ideally you want to have like a, at least a three hour one runway between your last drink and going to bed because drinking alcohol will fragment your sleep. It can decrease your REM sleep and often make you feel, you know, just groggy in the morning. And then as far as your dinner, it's really best to have your dinner within two to three hours of bedtime, because when you're asleep, you don't want to put your digestive system through the stress of having to digest the food because the, the digestion is, is going to be prioritized over your sleep. 
So, you know, having a light dinner, um, not a lot of greasy foods or sugar is really kind of the best way to look at your dinner. And then the fifth um, tip is based on a concept from something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It's called stimulus control. And that sounds a little bit kind of, kind of weird and, and clinical, but essentially you want to get into the practice of using your bedroom for two things, sleep and intimacy. So the idea is to keep a strong association between your bedroom and sleep. You want to connect those two. A lot of people I've found in the past couple of years working from home, they'll work from their bed. They kind of set up their office on, on their bed or in their bedroom. And so it's no wonder that they can't get to sleep at night because in their mind, their office is still open. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. So, um, so those, you know, those are some really, I think, actionable, you know, basic tips that I think one can start to, to implement and, and look at. Those are great. I, I love that. And these are just five. No wonder you get real specific. I'm sure with every individual that you work with and which ones of these that they're going to you know, start to do immediately and keep incorporating and how did it go? I, I'm curious with the stimulus control. I've, I've read about this. I've heard about this. It kind of makes sense. I, I, I have this little internal resistance about it. So that's why I want to ask, which is that it that I've, I've read and I've heard, um, don't look at your phone. Don't look at anything with blue light for at least the last, you know, 30 minutes before you're going to go to bed, better in an hour. And it's because it stimulates the brain, right? Yes, it does. So, so then I go, okay, so does that mean I need an, you know, I use my phone for an alarm clock. I use it to play some music to drift off to sleep. Like, how do I prevent that? So then I, then, so every time I'm doing it, I'm like, okay, I'm just doing this really quick. I'm going to set, you know, set my yeah. alarm and set my, um, uh, and my music. And yet I'm like, oh yeah, like, who am I kidding here? I've just stimulated my brain again. Do you yes. have any recommendations about how to handle that? So yeah. That well, stimulating our brain. Yeah. So first thing I would, I would consider using just a regular alarm clock. And putting and keeping the phone out of your bedroom because, you know, of the things you mentioned, plus there's the EMF exposure that comes out of your phone, unless your phone's on airplane mode, but even airplane mode is hundred percent. So I just, I literally just charge my phone in another room, just right next to my bedroom. And I don't actually use an alarm because I'm just like up like that. But if you need an alarm to get up, just have a regular alarm or have your, have your phone alarm set so high that you can hear your phone from another room. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, to get up. <laughs> you have to get up. That's what Mel Robbins does. That's what she's, she's yeah. Tip, like, and, and, off until you get and up. as far as, um, you know, sometimes we just, we literally just have to look at something for business or whatever on our phone before we go to bed. So there is, um, there are settings on your phone where you can, um, go in and, um, I don't know the path to it right off the top of my head, but essentially um, night shift mode, it basically makes your screen more of a yellow orange hue versus blue. And my tip, this is, I, I rely on this a lot, is um, a pair of dark blue light blocking glasses, the kinds that have red lenses. So you're literally blocking out all of your blue light. 
Oh, yeah. And you yeah. use that just at night? Yes. And you have yes. it by your bed? Like this is your, these are your, yeah. Well, <laughs> your okay. Glasses. So um, I'll send you the link because you, you, you might like this. Um, it's a pair, of, I'm wearing them now. No one can see this but you, but it's a pair of glasses where you have lenses that pop on with a magnet. So essentially, I have kind of yellow toned ones on now for the day. And then I pop on a pair of orange ones around dinner. And then closer to bedtime, I pop on the red ones. Oh, okay. Right. So it's, it's sort like, of it's like, like a sunset is happening. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you only have, you only have to have one pair of glasses, but you have three different lenses. You can just pop on and off at your, yeah. you know, with a magnet. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the, you know, those are some tips on how to, you know, deal with that light. Um, but also consider what you're looking at. Like you don't want to be looking at, um, or engaging with social media. You don't want to be watching your iPad and looking at a stimulating show because that's just over, just overworking your brain. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and it's tempting to do that though. Right. Yes. I mean, it's just, it really is. It feels like, Oh, well, I'm going to be, I'm calming down from it. All the, and yet um, it just, you know, just gets the brain going, you know, like, <laughs> uh, and even, even when we don't want to, you know, I'm thinking about all these um, different practical ways that uh, you have given us to have a better night's sleep. And I'm thinking of the gal pal listening right now who's tried these, maybe tried some others as well. And frankly, she's still struggling with getting a good night's sleep. What is a word of encouragement that you could say to her right now? Well, I would say that if, it, if somebody is discouraged, is to just, there are two different people we're talking about. <laughs> There's someone who's sleep deprived because they are putting other priorities ahead of their sleep. I would say to that person, think about how productive, how great you're going to feel when you get a good night of sleep, right? Um, someone with insomnia, I would have a different message. And that is, you are born to sleep. You know, you will be able to get sleep and sleep is, you know, your birthright and sleep always wins. So, you know, there is hope for people who are really, really struggling. Absolutely. For sure. And I think that for the person who has insomnia, they definitely, they definitely need a professional a coach or a doctor or somebody um, helping them through it because it can be really, uh, it can be a dark place. Mm. And I know it can vary with the different women that you work with. But is there like a, a range that you anticipate that once you start working with someone and they implement these that, you know, is it within a week then they can start feeling like I'm making progress, I'm getting better night's sleep? Do you typically find that it happens? I don't know. What's the time frame? Like, because that's, that gives us hope too. Yeah, that's a good question. It really depends on the person, but, you know, in my experience of working people with working with people. I would say within a couple of weeks, um, people are starting to notice small changes. I don't really like to implement a ton of different changes um, for them all at once, especially if they're easily overwhelmed because if they've got too many interventions, they could be you know, paralyzed. So I like to kind of ease into it with most people, but generally, you know, a couple of weeks is soon enough to really see some changes and some habits form. 
That's great. Yeah. I mean, really, that does give some hope because when you've got insomnia and it's gone on for weeks and months, I mean, it's just can get very depressing, you know, um, and then just this chronic, just being chronically tired, you know, can yes. get that way too. I can't believe we are out of time, but we are Morgan. So I've got two quick questions to wrap things up. Yes. And one is, um, I always like to ask my gal pals this, if you could create a nail color name that any of us could use to inspire us to consistently get a good night's sleep, what would that name be? Well, I would have to say Sleeping Beauty. Okay, sure, that's perfect, <laughs> right, okay. Uh, and I would, I would make this nail color a very light, you know, kind of sheer pink, mm -hmm. you know, very, very calm and, and soothing, you know, a neutral. <laughs> I love it. That makes sense. It's very, uh, a light sheer pink sounds very princess-like. Well. Yes. <laughs> so, I love that. Go back to our childhood. That's a good thing. Yeah. Hey, for those who would like to learn more about you, connect, maybe get your sleep sanctuary checklist. What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Uh, my website is morganadamswellness.com. I am also quite active on Instagram at morganadams.wellness. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Morgan Adams Wellness. So there are a few different ways to find me. And yeah, um, reach out if you need you know, more support or you know, I'm always loving to, to chat with people about their sleep. Excellent. And I know that you can get your sleep uh, sanctuary checklist off of your website, yes, right? That's so exactly right. at um, morganadamswellness.com. And I'll make sure to put all those links as well in the show notes. So, um, so that our gal pals listening, who want to reach out. They're, they're going to do this. I would highly recommend everyone get that sleep sanctuary checklist. I downloaded it and it was a good audit for myself. Like, mm, okay, I got a couple things to do that will make my sleep better because you know, when we live like our nail color, a big part is to be able to boost our resilience, to be able to boost our resilience. And we can't do that very well without a good night's sleep. In fact, to me, that's the body's ability to get a good night's sleep, get in that REM, get cellular repair, get a lot of things sorted out <laughs> in our brains. Um, and then when we wake up fresh, it's like we literally get up and we can be more resilient to what's going to be happening that day and making the most of it. So if we're wearing Sleeping Beauty, I'm thinking nail color, I'm thinking that's a good like, you know, one, two punch right there. So I appreciate you being on today, Morgan. And thank you again for your time and your expertise. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. Wow. Isn't it amazing that when something so fundamental to your health, like sleep, is out of whack, that so many other aspects of your well-being gets out of whack too? There was a time when being tired because you're conquering the world and doing so much was a badge of honor. Now it's just tired. <laughs> but Morgan gave us hope that you can flip the chip of poor sleeping or insomnia into getting a consistently good night's sleep. And she gave us five tips to get started. In this flip the chip segment, I want to quickly share again Morgan's five tips. As you listen, consider just one that you can start to use tonight. Do that for a week and then pick another. And keep adding and refining your sleep time practices until you consistently fall asleep quickly, stay asleep, and wake up truly refreshed. If getting a good night's sleep feels so elusive for you, 
encourage you not to give up. Fight for yourself to figure out what you need to do to get a good night's sleep. Because you can get to the point where you say, I'm so good at sleeping that I can do it with my eyes closed. (laughs) So here are the five tips from Morgan. Tip number one was do a bedroom audit so that it's cool, dark, and quiet. Morgan suggested getting blackout drapes if you need and perhaps a sound machine. Tip number two, create a morning routine that includes movement, mindfulness, and mindset. When you get up, get at least 15 minutes of natural sunlight within the first hour. That's movement. For mindfulness, she she suggested meditation or sitting in silence. For mindset, read something uplifting and positive. Tip number three, create an evening routine. Pick a bedtime and start to prepare 60 minutes before and do it in these three 20-minute segments. Use the first 20 minutes to prepare for the next day. Use the second 20 minutes for personal hygiene and use the third 20 minutes for a relaxing activity. Tip number four, audit what you consume. She recommended no more caffeine after 12 p.m. during the day. She said drink any alcohol during the last afternoon happy hour versus later at night. And she suggested eating a light dinner two to three hours before bedtime so it can digest. And tip number five, stimulus control. Be mindful of not watching or reading or interacting with anything or anyone that stimulates your brain right before you want to sleep. And here's my extra tip. Why not let your nail color cheer you on? Morgan suggested a light sheer pink color with the name Sleeping Beauty so that when you see your fingers or toes, you're inspired to do what it takes to get a good night's sleep night after night. You can make good choices to create the career, business, and life you want. One step, one nail color at a time. Look forward to being with you next time on the Live Like Your Nail Color podcast. Thanks for listening to the Live Like Your Nail Color podcast. Ready to live and laugh more? Know a friend who could use some of that too? Then subscribe at livelikeyournailcolor.com or your favorite podcast app and share this episode right now with the person who popped into your mind. Together, let's flip the chip to be stronger, smarter, and happier.